the reason that I am on my lower kick now, the way I have never been on the lower kick before, is because of the fact that A, Holly Weird has no concept of originality. So they are incapable of creating their own stories. Creativity has been killed with a double-headed sword. And therefore, nobody is allowed to do anything that reeks of origination, of creativity, of fun, of enjoyment. So in order to remedy this cancer of a problem that they have, they have chosen instead of to go back to the fundamentals of creativity and free themselves enough to write and then to create things that people actually enjoy, they have chosen to go into the annals of history and ruin all of the things that have been done in history and give them this social justice 2000 and some odd spin that leaves people feeling worse than they did when they came in. Dune is a story that almost got away from me. And I'm glad that this movie came out, not so that I could watch it, but so that I could go back and catch a classic before I had their warped sense of what this story actually said. So screenwriters do not have a difficult job. Screenwriters basically don't have a job. The only task that a screenwriter has, in my estimation, is to honor the source material so much that you give the story legs and then you shade that story in. You give the story color. What you don't give color are people who may not have color. What you don't sh make walk are things that never walked in the story. One of Dune's critical problems for me was that it did not follow in a chronological order. Now, Frank Herbert is long-winded. Anybody who has ever read any of his work knows that this guy never lacks for material. Whatever stories he comes up with, they hit him like a torrent, like a hurricane. And I think that he just has to stop writing at some point. So at first I wanted to say, okay, well, the story is so long that it is going to be necessary for them to go all out of order, say stuff all out of sequence so that they have enough time to get the damn story told. But is that what happened? No, because by the time they got to the point where they were telling the story in a sequential order, there was absolutely no reason to go out of order. As a matter of fact, they took things so out of order that when they began to tell the story in sequence, they had to skip pivotal parts of the story because they had already told it at the very beginning of the movie. So, I am going to go down this list. It is not in chronological order because the damn movie is not in chronological order. So, there's no way that I can wrap my mind around my points in a sequential manner. So, I'm going to bip and bop all over this movie the way they bipped and bopped all over the damn book. So, for one, 
Liet Kynes. Now, the way they said Liet in the movies, and maybe my critical eye was just a little bit too sharp. They said it more like Liet. You know, like Juliet, Romeo and Juliet. So I'm supposing this is the way that they were able to massage themselves into the bad idea of making Liet Kynes into a woman. Number one. Not only was Leah Kynes a woman, that was number one. Number two, she was a black woman. Now, y'all know, anytime they put a black woman in a movie, she can only do two things. She can either be so damn ghetto fabulous that it makes you just not want to watch it. Or two, she can preach at you so hard that it makes you not want to watch it. She was B. She was Liet Kynes, Pastor Liet Kynes. Now, for all of the fact that they sex swapped her and made her black, it wasn't so much that they did anything different with her race necessarily, but Liet Kynes was a man. He was a man. And not only was he a man, but he was an ecological genius. Ask me if I got ecological genius from Liet Kynes, which is the way that you have to pronounce it as far as I'm concerned, if she's a female, because Liet is a little bit too short. It's a little masculine if you just say Liet. But if you say Liet, that sounds like you damn just said Juliet. Nevertheless, Liet was a an ecological genius. And I guess what could have made up for the sex swap is the fact that, you know what? They could have made her an ecological genius. They talked very little about Liet's obsession with converting Ericus from an arid planet into a planet that teemed with water, moisture, and plant life. She didn't really go into any of that. She was really too busy telling people how it's not their fault if they're not comfortable on the planet. That they she's they have seen plenty like them come and go. And how Paul is the one. How it and and uh quoting scripture out of the blue, which the book had a lot of Islamic undertone, but I'm telling you, the way that it was done was palatable in the book. The other, the other reason why Liet Kynes needed to be a man is because it is uncharacteristic for a woman. I don't give a damn if she's an alien. It is uncharacteristic for a woman to call people out in the course of a dinner to fight me. If you got a problem with me, meet me in the street. It is very uncharacteristic for a woman to do that. Liet Kynes did that twice in the same dinner, back to back. One person tripped and then the other person decided that they just could not catch a clue. They tripped and Liet said, did you not hear me the first time when I told him to meet me outside? They did not depict the dinner that Leto had with his family and the notables on planet Arrakis. For someone who read the book, 
that needed to happen. It was an integral part of the story. And the reason it was the integral part of the story is because it established the house of Atreides on the planet Ericus. The Duke and Lady Jessica did not want to host this dinner, but it was a diplomatic, it was a political move. They needed to acclimate themselves to this planet. And not only that, they needed to sow themselves into the society. And the only way that they would be able to do that is to pretend to have hospitality. And therefore, it was necessary that they have this coming together of sorts. Another reason why it was very important that they include this portion in the cinematic iteration is because in this part of the story, it establishes how melange is not the currency of Arrakis. Water is. And it gave the, it, it gave you the sense of urgency. It created a thirst in the reader, if you will. It began to connect the dots that water is something that is so scarce on this planet that we have other worries. We have a whole set of concerns that don't involve this holly weird boom boom CGI flash me some of this blow up some of that tech me this and tech me that speaking of tech when you read dune for yourself or if you haven't read it and you don't want to read it go back to my podcast i did the whole book nevertheless you get the impression you don't get the impression it is implicitly um understood and explained in the book that mankind had gotten beside itself meaning Mankind had gotten to the point where their technology started to have dominion over them. And in order for mankind to become the dominioners again, they needed to put tech in its rightful place. So that meant that the worlds, the planets, the galaxies no longer had tech as the principal supply. They no longer looked at tech as the source of power any longer. It wasn't this machine here, this machine there, tech me some of this and tech me some of that. It was like, you know what? Tech was in the background. Tech was white noise. It was not what was staring you in the face. It was not, let's have what looks like very sophisticated machinery um, mining for this melange now. I don't really have a problem with them coming up with their versions of that. But when you add that, plus all of the loud, you know, um, I am trying to compensate for not telling a story. When you have that, that is where the story begins to fall apart. And it doesn't really fall apart because there actually aren't any pins holding anything together. There's a huge nothing there. So Paul's prescience, it was depicted in this. And I will say that Dune, this movie is a part one. Okay. So just so you know, it's not like you're going in here and you're getting all of it. Not that you haven't already seen it. You may have seen it, but it's, it's just part one. 
as if they had to do that. They did not have to do that. They really didn't. Nevertheless, Paul's presence was solely about Cheney in the movie. And I call her Cheney because I looked up the damn compendium and I got the damn companion book. And I think the author would have rather Cheney. So I'm a caller Cheney. They acted as though his prescience was only like she was the principal thing. Like he just had to get to this girl, had to get to this girl, had to get to this girl. And yes, she was a part of his prescience. But it was a whole lot of other stuff that surrounded his prescience too. Did they flash scenes of him getting stabbed? Uh, certain different, certain aspects of the story in Paul's prescience happening. They did, but you had absolutely no reference. You didn't know what the fuck it was about. And why didn't you know what it was about? You didn't know what it was about because Paul and all of this story did not go sequentially. If they would have taken the story and they would have done it in order, the audience that did not read Dune and the audience that could appreciate Dune for what it was would have had a much better viewing experience. Paul was perfect. And I do mean perfect in certain aspects. The aspect of his... um. What am I saying? The aspect of his aesthetic. Timothy Chalamet, who plays Paul in the movie. This is how Paul is envisioned in my mind when I think about him. The only thing that I would have as a better depiction of Paul is that his hair would have more of a dirty blonde look versus almost a brunette look. Other than that, he was Paul. He was Paul. He was lithe, slender. And if you've seen it, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but just in my description, he is slender. He is aesthetically gorgeous. He looks like a male model. I like that about the way that they, they chose Paul fine. He was chosen well. The part about Paul that did not work and it didn't, it, it wasn't that it just didn't work. It was that, you know what? I could have forgiven it had other things been done. If they would have followed the story chronologically in a sequential manner, I could have forgiven the fact that Paul was too sure. Paul was a 15 year old boy when this movie, when this book kicked off. As a matter of fact, Paul is the principal person. It is Paul's story. My opinion is that this is Paul's story. They went out of their way and tripped over themselves and say, you're the one with Adib and all that shit. But Paul is the person that this story is focused on from the beginning to the end. And Paul, his surety did not come until after he had been on Ericus for about two years. And one could argue Paul's surety began to grow when his he and his mother were deserted after the the sandstorm and their ornithopter went down and then they became you know desert dwellers desert survivalists that's when he became way more sure of himself because his prescience really kicked into high gear so that argument can't be made but what i'm trying to say is that the paul that we see in the on the movie in the very first pages of the movie is fine if he had been depicting the paul Two years later on Ericus, not the Paul that um, 
kicked off the damn book. The 15-year-old Paul, he was not that sure. Not only was he not that sure, he was more broody. This Paul here, he was, he had a seriousness about him. He was serious. But this Paul here was sincerely, and I don't even want to say severely like it was a bad thing, but he was very introverted. And this Paul in the book was very introverted because he was a child and his parents and uh, the advisors that were closest to Leto, his right hand, hand, his right hand men, they went out of their way to make sure that Paul understood that he was a child that was being trained for something greater, but he was still a child. And with that position as a child, it gave you an adolescence vibe to Pyle, to Pyle, <laughs> to Paul. His moodiness could be understood through his adolescence because that is what we come to expect out of people that age who don't quite understand Paul in the movie seemed to always understand what the fuck was going on even when he pretended like he didn't he was always understanding about what was going on um so I think they missed it right there they got his look perfectly it was just that he was a little bit too sure if he had not been so sure when he started to develop his presence and come into his powers, he would have been much more convincing and he would have become the, the, the watcher, the viewer would have fell in love with Paul as a leader much better. Paul never had to develop anything into anything because as Hollyweird loves to do, you are a damn Mary Sue or uh, whatever you call the man that's a Mary Sue. You are that from the very beginning. You in Hollywood, they don't have time to develop you. Now, these assholes always want to get on the Internet and lecture you about how to write a story and how to write this and how to develop this and how to do this and how you got to this and that and how you got to know your character and all this stuff. But they're so they are so uh, they were so what is it anxious to make Paul Muadib. That was what it is. Paul was Mu'adib from the very beginning, from the first scene. Paul was not Mu'adib when the book began. Paul was just Paul. A tall, little lanky, probably good looking, but very unsure, very, very skeptical, very introverted boy who did not understand the things that were happening to him, but did understand that some things were happening. It was Paul's insecurities that make him powerful. Movie makers, if we can call it that, they don't understand that. They do not understand that if you don't give a character a weakness, and it's not a weakness that they have to hurry up and fix in five minutes before the scene ends. It has to be a weakness that follows them all the way through because it is in the weakness that people are able to connect to the character and and it is exciting and it is interesting to watch a person work through in spite of their weakness. So Paul's weakness, Paul's weakness that was that he did not appreciate the fact that people had chosen what the fuck he was going to do with his life. A. B. He did not like the fact that his mother had been training him in the Bene Gesserit way. He did not like that shit. He did not like it. Because it was contentious for him and his mom when he began to exhibit these abilities. And they all started to mush and blend in together. And he never really quite knew 
what was happening with him. And he did not appreciate his mother doing that in spite of him being a young boy who may have, I don't know, wanted to do something else. So there was that. In the movie, they depicted Leto wrong. Leto should have been, well, I'll get to that. But let me just note here that Paul had more tenderness with his father than with Lady Jessica. And that is not true to the book. He was irritated with his mother for putting all this Bene Gesserit training into him. However, he was close with his mom. You could tell that he was a bosom baby. His mom, he and his mom were very close. And it wasn't so much that he was irritated and he didn't want to be all up on the mama. It was that he didn't like the Bene Gesserit part of it, but he did love his mom. And he was very close to mom. And he was very close to mom. And he was up underneath mom a lot because dad wasn't around a lot. Therefore, the fact that they made him have such tenderness in his interactions with Leto, it did not make a lot of sense because Leto was not there a lot. Leto was out off being a duke. And the, you know, the depiction of trying to give us this great saga of a father and a son and a son who wants to avenge his father. No, none of that was relevant. None of that. Nevertheless, um, Leto was cold and detached. And I suspect that Leto in the book was cold and detached because he found it to be the best defense mechanism that he could think of to protect his family. Right, wrong, or indifferent. He felt that he needed to be Duke Leto even when he was up under the cover at night with Jessica simply because it was the best defense against his family falling into some kind of danger. I told you they went out of order in this story. So I, I I can't, when did, um, when did Paul tell Jessica she was pregnant? All when they wasn't desert survivalists, all when it was inconsequential. She was in his room and, um, she was trying to make sure that he was okay after something had happened. And he told her, I know you're pregnant. And she's like, Oh, how you know it's too soon. And it's like, you know what? You guys missed what? You guys missed opportunities that were there. I don't know what y'all was trying to do, but you guys didn't do it. And it's annoying. So by the time they started to follow the book, I felt comfortable enough to get up and do some laundry. So I did. And I came back and missed absolutely nothing. Because by the time they got ready to do the story, not only was I not really that interested, but because they go out of order, it's key shit that they leave out when they finally do the scene the way it's supposed to be done that the hook of the scene, if if you will, is completely omitted. So it leaves a, a dead scene. Also, the characters wrote, they, they spoke in a weird, this very weird expositive way. If you remember my podcast I did on... Um, It was a podcast I did on. It was the podcast I did on Unbelievable. They started to speak in this weird expositive way as if they were trying to 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 cram the lore into the story. And it came out super duper unnaturally. And it was as if the speaker was reading 
out of an encyclopedia Britannica. They did that in Unbelievable. If you have not listened to that podcast, listen to it. It's fun. Nevertheless, um, they spoke in this way like they were reading out of an encyclopedia, you know, and it, it came off unnatural and it came off like they were trying to stuff as much of the book into this one episode that they possibly could because they felt like they were running out of time. When the reality is, is if they would have gone in sequence, they would not have run out of time because because it would have been intuitive how you could have uh cinematically represented those scenes and you wouldn't have had to say every damn line in the book simply because you would have had the 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 gift of of you would have had the gift of showing us the scene versus having to explain every nook and cranny of of a scene in order to get it established and then tell the story so when they got to Ericus and they were walking on the sand, I found it a little confusing of the fact that they could walk over that sand and no worms were coming. But then when they got in the area where you could tell that they wanted it to be uh, Dune Part 1, uh, that part you couldn't walk in the sand without the the, the maker coming. But I, I felt I felt like that would be confusing. Now, it wasn't confusing necessarily to me because I knew what was coming, obviously. However, somebody who was not familiar with Dune probably could have been more confused by, wait, how are they walking on sand now? How are they not able to, you know, wake one of the the makers, the worm guys? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um. Paul, again, his character, he was not a an adult, a young adult. He was a teenager. And I feel that them making him an adult from Jump Street or giving his persona as being a mature, serious, yet young, because he looks very young, was off the mark. As disgusting as the Baron is, remember, the Baron um, Harkonnen, he... As, as disgusting as he was, they it seems like they tried to, they went more into representing how disgustingly big and um, evil he was, which he was both of those things. But the Baron had reasons for why he did what he did. He was very calculating and he went to great lengths to expose the inner workings of his mind, as in the Arthur. And the movie only painted him as this one-dimensional uh out of breath, which is very understandable, menace, who was hard to understand despite his sloth-like rate of speech. He spoke very slowly and he was always out of breath, laboring for breath because he was so big and he was very menacing, very evil. You just, you, you knew when you were looking at him that he was the bad guy. All of that was almost fine, except they never showed us the cunning nature of him of the Baron. They never showed us how he calculated the way that he did what he did. There was one scene where he was swimming in this vat of what looks like fucking oil or something. And he he's about to go back under and he says, kill them all. And it's like, yes, the Harkonnen would definitely say some shit like that. But the calculation behind why he thought like that. It's not so much that I wanted them to expose that 
ooh, he was this secretively altruistic guy who just happened to have to do evil. No, it was that he was evil. And his evil, let's say, musings were evil too. They didn't make a whole lot of sense as far as why would you just choose to be this evil? But it could have helped the viewer to connect to the story. I thought the ornithopter who was as much of a character as the, the human beings in the story, I thought that they depicted that well. It looked like a metal dragonfly. The wings, they propelled in a up and down horizontal fashion that twittered to the to the degree that they once they got to a certain speed, they looked like they were vibrating like an insect's wings. I thought they did a great job with that. The only criticism that I would give to the ornithopter, and this really isn't a criticism because it, I really am satisfied with that, is that a lot less tech. Can we get a little bit less tech? Because, see, man had gotten beside itself so much so that it had to have a galactical religion. Everybody on the damn, everybody in the galaxy had to come to believe certain things or understand these things to be true so that we can you know centralize the power and control y'all this way now but nevertheless technology was no longer the four in dune the book societies had gone or planets societies had gone back to imperialism where there was an imperial family that was going to rule you until you had dirt thrown on you or whatever they did to bury you on your planet. They went back to an imperial system. It was no longer, oh, the iPhone, you know, Google runs us. No, there, there was no, oh, I don't know the answer to this. Let me get on my, you know, my Samsung and look up the answer. Man had gone back almost to a primitive way of living. Simply not because the knowledge had dissipated to the point where now we were no better than fucking cavemen. It was that in order that technology would never become the behemoth that it became, human beings would choose to live more primitively rather than to have Google be our God. We are going to go back to the other gods, not Google. Okay, so there was that. Um, so there was too much. It, it, it was a little too techy. Their underground, um, uh, let's say hideaways and, 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 um, what do they call them? Uh, I can't remember what they call them. Sieges, which is basically another word for just an underground whole gang of people, which were the Fremen. That underground base, as it were, when Paul and his mom had to hide after, you know, they were, in the desert and wanting to run away from an ornithopter that had, you know, taken to the sky. That underground where they met Liet Kynes again and he kind of distracted the, uh, basically the Harkonnen from getting them because they were definitely wanted because they were thought dead but were in fact alive. That underground siege was too techy. It, it was too, it was too... 2021 if you under the ground in an arid you know planet it needed to be way less raw this movie was so raw i don't like that there is a time and place for raw 
This was not that. These were dwellers of the desert and they had a very primitive, very tribalistic, very desert way of living. And they would not have had any ability to make anything techy like that. There was not enough, I hate that I'm saying this, but there was not enough of the political backdrop from the foundation of the story. Frank Herbert's book is extremely political. And not only is it political, it's, re it's, it's very religious simultaneously, which is like, damn, I guess you just, two sides of the same coin. Nevertheless, it has a, a deeply political undertone and not even undertone, overtone, middle tone, undertone. And the book does a good job of making that palatable for the reader. And because if it would have gotten too political, I could not have finished it. But it did a great job of that. The closest we got to political was Leto telling Paul that, oh, it's going to be dangerous on Ericus. And he's like, oh, why? Because it's hot, it's dry. And he's like, no, it's political. You know, he, it literally said it's political. Now, these are the people that tell you show don't tell, but then they tell you something as would have been obvious if they would have taken us into Bar the Baron's mind and if they would have taken us into the Emperor's mind. Now, the Emperor didn't get a lot of shine in Dune. However, there was a political structure on Ericus. And if you guys are going to show us stuff that wasn't even a thing in the book, you could have shown us something that could have maybe made the book a little uh, more illustrative, uh, more descriptive of the actual political climate. Okay. I'm going to say this here because I'll forget. The, the way that they did this book in this movie makes this just another fucking uh, movie. It just makes it just another action movie that, uh, to be frank, is just looking like a, um, a damn Star Wars wannabe. It really is. And you know what? As much as you can say, okay, well, damn, you got Paul, and what about uh, Anakin, and what about Darth Vader, and what about Baron? It's like, okay, fine. But you know what? When I read Dune, I never at one point said damn this reminds me of star wars even though i know one of them or both of them was influenced by either one it doesn't matter i think that herbert came first i don't remember but the bottom line is i never i was never jonesing for no wars i was never like oh this is oh that's princess leia i was never doing that not one time not one time but those who are not familiar with the lore will go in there and say oh this is a knockoff star wars hmm it's a little darker than Star Wars or something if they don't know any better. But the bottom line, it made this just another movie. When, although Dune was not the best story I've ever read in my life, it was not just another story. And it was not just another Star Wars-y type of, it really wasn't. It was something altogether its own. Remember I said, it has such an Islamic undertone that at first I was, I didn't, I did not like that. Why? Because it just felt like, oh my God, are we about to read, uh, uh, you know, in the Hadiths next or what? But the author parlayed that into the sci-fi genre well, and it turned out being tasteful and it turned out being something that I thought was novel instead of distasteful. So this is part one. As I've already said, they could have shown part, the entire book. 
and you already know what I'm going to say. If they would have gone in sequential order, it would have been intuitive. They would have known what to kind of not go too damn many minutes in explaining and what not to do. It would have established that story. It would have made this story its own. But alas, they did not do that. Instead, they are choosing to drag out a story that does not require it. They're, they're trying to make the Dune into a franchise, which it can be a real franchise because there's five books in the damn saga. You can make it into anything, but huh? <laughs> when, well, all I have to say is that part two, Messiah, Paul is not looking very Messiah-esque in book two. He is pissing people off as far as the readers, like the readers don't like him as much in Messiah. How are you going to put that in Hollywood weird terms? Because it looks like, and I could be wrong because I don't know if I'm going to look at part two. I'm telling you guys, it's not cringy. It's just so stupid the way that they chose to do it all out of order and it's too raw that I don't know if I'm going to do it again. But um, it looks to me like they are jockeying this book up to be the Cheney show. And I don't mean like the first book was all about Cheney because I ain't gonna lie. They didn't give her a whole lot of shine in this. She got a lot of um, flashback. Would it be a flashback or would it be a flash forward? I don't know. They gave her a lot of flashy type of scenes where he would see her and it would be like, oh, you know, this Arabic call to prayer sound and, you know, the sun you know, blaring into your eye and setting and it's orange and there's Cheney turning around looking at you, you know, blinking at, you know, 0.5 speed and isn't she so, so beautiful in the desert? No, no. Uh, so it gave you a lot of those scenes and when he did finally find her, she was so hard and brisk. I don't know what Paul saw in her because baby... Paul could have, um, he could have gotten off of a spaceship that had just walked in, what would you call it? The Galactic Fashion Week. He could have just gotten off of the Galactic Fashion Week. He was that gorgeous. And you guys know how I am. My couples have to match. Do Paul and Chaney match? Not to me. Not because any of them are lacking anything as far as their youth is concerned, but um just doesn't seem like paul be checking for her and i'm just saying because let me give you an example remember how when i did the dune uh, review how i was like okay um lady jessica and steelgar look like um they are about to try to sail a ship for me they weren't but in the movie steelgar is played by javier bardeen and um I like him. He is a very, just a very masculine, manly, good-looking, rugged, good-look. He's just a good-looking guy. <laughs> and um, the ship I was trying to sell for him and Lady Jessica might just sail in this. This might be the one thing they actually ever get right because I felt they were a little shippy. I'm just saying. And Javier Bardem is not exactly an extra. When you put him in the movie, he's not about to be your extra he's going to be giving you some extras but he is not the extra so i'm all i'm trying to say is this javier bardem is a desert dweller but 
Lady Jessica looks like she would be checking for him. That's what I'm trying to say. And let me talk about Lady Jessica aesthetically because you guys know how I am, especially in a movie. Now, when it's a book, your imagination is going to will can spin you wherever you want to go. In a movie, baby, you have got, yep, you have to. You sure do. Lady Jessica in the book is depicted as being this lithe, you know, graceful, beautiful thing who is just so gorgeous to behold that, you know, her lethality uh, lends her even more beauty because it's like, damn, a beautiful ballerina might come and, you know, think me to death or something, you know. So in the book, um, she's not that beautiful to me. And I, when I say that, I don't mean like my subjective opinion on people's looks. I mean, her character should have been played by a woman who was like, I don't know, uh, should have had, you know, one of a super, a top model look, but can act. Like she shouldn't have been like somebody who couldn't act, but she should have looked like a top model, not America's next top model, baby. I'm talking about a model who actually works over in Milan or somewhere, one of them. And this one, she was okay. I mean, she was cool. But, you know, I think that they think that they were able to um, fill in the beautiful gap by just uh, choosing a, a British actress. You know, they just may have thought that they could slap a British accent on it and it would suffice. Well, um, if any other producers are listening, understand, please pull close to the mic and understand that, you know, when the internet was invented, we became exposed to people on any any part of the world okay so having a british accent doesn't wow people anymore because we're so used to it now that you have to be from somewhere where you know like what is an antarctican accent can we get that one because we don't care about you just because you have a british accent now does not always lend you pretty points baby you got to actually be pretty also okay so you guys did an excellent job with Paul. I ain't gonna lie. Y'all did a good job with Paul. But Lady Jessica, she was not ugly. She was cool. She was cool. But could she have played in like a period piece back on the BBC back when it was good? Yeah. But can she play Lady Jessica, who's supposed to be so beautiful that her look is as lethal as her Bene Gesserit gift? No. I just think that she could have been a little bit more graceful. She wasn't as graceful. She was a little hard. She was a little... um. A little anxious um this jessica she was worried about her son and she had a lot of that but you know what like there were times where jessica would literally wring her hands and be like <sighs> you know emotive and scared this lady lady jessica in the book everything was behind a veil of bunny jessery the jessica in the book on the outside she looked like she was ready to run the runway okay uh walk the runway strut the runway she was composed she was a cucumber she was cool um she would have never let you know she was um um scared she would have never let on that she was exhausted she would have never let on that she was tired she would never would have let on what she felt she never would have let you, let you do that because the Bene Gesserit would have kicked in and it would have disallowed her to be herself Jessica did not have a personality outside of the Bene Gesserit she was not afforded that luxury of having a personality for everything that Paul evolves into as the Mu'adib. Um, 
Paul had a personality before he became the Mu'adib. And so it really irritated him when he realized how much training his mother put into him because he felt like he was an actual person. And the fact that he was not actually a person, but rather he was a political tool to be used for someone else's devices bothered him. He did not like this shit. Um, another thing that I am forgetting and I'm trying to remember to, to mention um, it just isn't coming to me right this second, but um, Paul was cast perfectly and they could have really done something interesting with this. They could have slowed down and taken their times. 2020 to now has given you almost two years. Sit your ass down, go through the book and honor the book. This movie um, could have been put out in a weekend. Okay. They could have done this movie in a damn weekend. There was a sense of haste in this movie that did not need to be there because they had time to get this shit right. They really could have got this shit right. They could have got it right, but they chose not to. And it is a shame because those who have read the book already know it's full of shit. But the ones who didn't read the book leave unsatisfied, but for reasons they won't quite understand. And that's a real shame. Because in a movie, you have a unique opportunity. You have the opportunity to not only tell, but you have the opportunity to show. And these people had every opportunity to get this right. And what did they do? They still got it wrong. And that is why this podcast exists. Because when it comes to modern day cinema, literature, or written work, whatever the case may be, you are always taking a chance. And if I were you and you have not seen Dune yet, I would not place my bets on it. I already took the gamble for you and I came up short. And if I were you, I would not waste my time venturing into the movie Dune. Pick up the book because that you won't regret. I am the bookie and I will talk to you on the next episode.